0: Hi, I'm Gus Walland, and this is Not An Overnight Success, brought to you by and Partners Financial Services. This is a podcast where we sit down with some very successful people from the world of business, entertainment and sport, and chat about their life's journey and what got them to the position that they're in today. In today's episode, we are chatting with Steve Smith. Steve Smith is one of the greatest cricketers in the world. Cricket has been Steve's life and his journey to the top, and to stay there has had some hiccups. In this chat, we speak about Steve's childhood and family, what led him to pursuing cricket and his choice to play for Australia instead of England, which I'm very, very glad about. We talk about that pivot in his career from bowling to batting and how those decisions were made. We talk about the challenges he faced with his band and what he did to overcome it. How giving back to the community helped shape him into a more resilient person course, I get a lot of cricket questions in there because I'm a cricket fanatic but mostly this chat just shows how much Steve is not an overnight success. His dedication and mindset are what made him so successful. As for all these podcasts, Sean Partners have generously donated $10,000 to the charity of choice of each of our guests. We discuss who gets that money and what they'll do with it in this chat. The executive producer of this podcast is Keisha Pettit with production assistance from Kelly Stubbs and Brittany Hughes. Let's get into our chat with Steve Smith. Smithy, how are you, mate? Good, Gussie. How are you? Mate, great to see you. I know quite a bit about you, but a lot of people would like to know... Your background: Where were you born? What was your family makeup, and what were you like as a
1: as a young man? (laughs) (laughs) I was born at St George Hospital, okay, down in Cogra. I've got a sister that's two years older than me, named Christy. She lives in the UK currently. She's been there for about ten years. So, she married um, a bloke over there, or she? She has, yeah. So she's married a bloke. She's got three kids that aren't hers. Mm. um, that she takes care of. So, uh, that'd be hard work, but, um, yeah, so she's my, uh, my only sibling and then mum and dad. So we grew up in the, in the Shire down in Alfred's Point. Mum and dad have only just recently sold that place and moved down South even, even further to, uh, Vincentia where we used to holiday as a kid a lot um, when I was a kid. So they love it down there. So semi-retired and yeah, packed up and, and moved down there. So Yeah, that's essentially it for my family.
0: Was it sad when mum and dad sold the family home? Was there a little sort of part of you that was like, oh, you know, I know that for my family when we sold the family home, their business, of course, (laughs) but you're like, oh, I'm going to miss it.
1: It wasn't heaps. Probably I'd moved out a long time ago, so probably more for for mum and dad just just leaving the home that, you know, their kids grew up in. So, Yeah. yeah, they probably felt a little bit of that. Were you close to your
0: sister growing up?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we were probably only two years apart. No, we got on well as, as kids. I don't see her a great deal these days with, with her being over in the UK but yeah we talk as, as regularly I guess as we can and yeah, we still get on well.
0: When you go over to England and play cricket whether it's for Australia or county or one of the 2020s do you see her then? Do the kids come and watch? Are they Australian supporters? Like what's that
1: Synergy-like? Yeah, they're definitely Australian supporters. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they slide down every now and again and and see a a day's play or or whatever, which is nice. So it's good to to have their support from the other side of the world. How often do you get phoned up and say, hey, Smithy,
0: I'm in town, I wouldn't mind a couple of tickets? Like, how does that actually work? And can you get tickets for
1: people to the game? Yeah, that does happen quite regularly. Well, we get allocated tickets for every game, so particularly or depending on who we're playing they're in pretty high demand yeah. um, for for some games so yeah the games that that aren't quite so high demanding I'm certainly available to to hand a few out
0: now if it was the first day of the first test match of an ashes series would you get four tickets and if so is there like a, a an order there you go righto there's no way smithy's going to get one because he's more bangladesh one day. Uh, you know do you have like a pecking order for your mates to get tickets f- from you
1: uh Yeah, I normally start with family. So mum and dad quite often for like the first Ashes test would would come up to Brisbane or or wherever it is. These days you never know, do you? Yeah, yeah, it changes every now and again. So yeah, they're usually first and then... Yeah, I guess sort of my best mates, if they're, if they're keen to, to come up, they're, I guess, first off the list and then sort of work your way around and, <laughs> and try and help everyone out as much as possible. You know, ask other people if they're using their tickets. Yeah. Um, sometimes can ask the opposition because they get tickets as well. So okay. they potentially may not be using them. So yeah, try and help everyone out as, as much as possible.
0: That's great. And do you know where they're sitting? Like so if you score, let's say you get 50 and you're raising your back normally to the dressing room in the crowd, would you know your spot where your mum and dad might be sitting or your wife or, or best mates?
1: Usually, yes. It's changed a little bit the last few years with COVID I think some of the spots are a little bit different so I scored some runs at the uh, the SCG and I was raising my bat somewhere where I thought, <laughs> thought, thought people would be and I think I was in the wrong direction so that happens but it's great to, to have support and people come out to, to watch me play and, and yeah. watch the team go about it.
0: Of course, so what were you like as a, as a kid Smithy, like growing up were you into everything, were you good at school, sort of give people an understanding of what Steve Smith as a 5 year old to a 15 year old was like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've, I've always been into my sport, so I played a little bit of soccer growing up, some Oztag. I was never allowed to play tackle footy. <laughs> I think mum was like, you're going to get injured. Cricket Is that because was, you were little? or she? I was little, but I don't know. Cricket was always probably like the priority, so didn't want to get injured in the off-season and yeah. you know, have an injury going into the cricket season. Then I played some tennis in in the off-season as well, until I was about 16, I think, um, which I loved and still love. So, yeah, I, I dabbled in, in all different sports outside of summer where obviously cricket was was the priority. But, yeah, love sport. And then I guess when it comes to school, I yeah, I mean, I was okay as a student. When I put my mind to something, um, I'm pretty good at it and I just probably didn't put my mind to it as much as I could, perhaps could have. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I did my best, I suppose. In terms of tennis, because cricket obviously was your
0: number one. Were you any good at tennis? Are you any good at tennis? And is for you, is it just a chance to break away from normal life for a few hours or is it something that you actually work at and like golfers want to get better and better at?
1: Yeah, I, I want to get better at it. I'm actually, during COVID at the start, I was getting a few lessons Wow, cause tennis was one thing that you could do. Yeah. Um, you could play singles tennis and like you could play golf here in, in New South Wales as well. So I was actually getting some lessons down at White City every now and again on the on the grass or on the I wasn't, hard court. No, nah, I was on the hard court or the, the synthetic grass, trying to sort my backhand out. That's been an issue for some time. But <laughs> but um, no, look, I still play. I think it's it's great fitness, particularly for a cricket player. If you're playing against someone that's reasonable, you know, you're running around you. Your points last for, you know, can be 20, 30 seconds, which is kind of like cricket, you know, you're running between the wickets, mm-hmm. you stop, you go again. So it, your heart rate's kind of similar, I suppose, in a way to to what it is with cricket. So, you know, I was playing during COVID at the start. I was, I was playing with Ben Dwarshus, actually, um, mm-hmm. who's a weapon. He's, he should be playing tennis, really. Really? He's a lefty. He's like Rafael Nadal. He gets to everything, beats me every time. Wow. Uh, we were playing two, three hours sessions probably 3 to 4 days a week great and yeah the the calories you burn is great it's yeah. a, it's magnificent so <laughs> yeah that was our fitness sessions i'll probably go for a run later in the day or something as well but yeah the the fitness out of tennis is is outstanding so
0: that's great so tennis was a part of your life but when did you sort of know that cricket was something that you could perhaps have as a as a job because i know how many young kids have a dream 14 15 i'm going to get a baggy green but
1: could you actually see that as an as an option for you as a, as a mid teen? It's what I always wanted. Probably didn't really become, I suppose, a reality until I, I started playing first grade when I was 16. So I was pretty young for that and just sort of progressing through the ranks. I think later that year I was playing second 11 with New South Wales. So yeah, things were, were happening pretty quickly. Mm. And then that was always my dream. It's what I always wanted to do and... I left school halfway through year 12 to go and play some some club cricket over in England. I ended up playing some second 11 cricket with Kent and Surrey. At that stage, I got offered a contract at Surrey that year. My mum's English, so I've got an English passport. So yeah, they offered me a contract and then I got offered a a rookie contract at New South Wales at the same time and uh, I took that. Thanks Smith. And uh, <laughs> on behalf of all
0: Australian cricket fans, thank you.
1: You're welcome. No, I think it was a I think it was a good decision, so and then yeah, things sort of just happened really quickly. Didn't really have time to to catch my breath and yeah, I was I was playing as a spinner, I was playing as an all-rounder and then I was playing as a batter. It all turned really quickly, so it's been a I guess a dream come true. Did you have any doubts? Did you have any, you know, imposter syndrome going
0: on in your head around your ability and whether or not you could actually make it with everything happening so quickly?
1: I did initially when I was playing as a bowler because I was never a bowler. I was, <laughs> I was really always a, a batter growing up that bowled because I wanted to be involved in the game. So mm. when I got um, thrusted into test cricket in 2010 as the spin bowler post-Shane Warren with uh, the turnstile of spinners that went through at, at that stage, yeah, it was a bit daunting because it wasn't my preferred skill. Mm. So, but you didn't want to say no. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I'd happily take the baggy green for sure. So, <laughs> so yeah, I took that, uh, played a couple of tests as a spinner and then I played three as an all-rounder in the Ashes in 2010 and then got to a, a point in my career where I, I had to make a decision. I, I don't think I was doing good enough at either. So it was like, for me, it was always batting. So it was like, all right, let's concentrate on batting. Let's nail that down and get that to a, p- a point where you can be successful in international cricket. And it was about a two-year period there where I was out of the team and turned things around and, and got myself back and have been there since.
0: What did you do in that two years? Obviously, you made the mental decision to go, right, you know, bowling is going to be absolutely, which you do do, the odd overs here and there, and <laughs> nearly won us an Ashes test with that with that last <laughs> over, which was great, which I was lucky enough to call. That might well be the last over I bowl, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a wicket. So you made the mental choice, right, I, I've got to concentrate on batting. That two years when you were out of the test team, what was that like for you, and did you ever doubt yourself that you would eventually get back there if you just... Stood the course.
1: I never doubted it. I don't think it was just about prioritising my time. So when I was playing as a, a an all rounder, you know, I'd, I'd rock up to to training. You know, I do fielding, which I pride myself on. Obviously, you spend half your your time in your career in the field. So the way I see it is, you want to be good at it. You spend fifty mm. percent of your time out there. You want to be good at it. So prioritise fielding, and then. Back then I'd, I'd bowl for probably 30, 45 minutes and then I'd bat and I'd be like, I'd be pretty cooked by the time I start batting and I wasn't spending as much time on the batting. So it was like, all right, if I just get rid of the bowling side of things, I've still got the fielding there and then I can just bat for, for longer or just spend more time batting and prioritise that. So that was the decision I made. I think that was 2011. And it was, f- yeah, for about two years, I just prioritised my batting and, and made sure I could get that to a level that I wanted it to be at. And, yeah, things just sort of turned around. I got to know my game a bit better. Um, I think I got a bit fitter. So I was turning my 60s, 70s into to 100s, um, which is where you get noticed, obviously. And, yeah, things, things turned around for me. And 2013, I, I got the call up again to, to go and play in, in India, and, yeah, I think I almost played outside of when I got banned. I, I think I've played every single test match in that, that period, except for probably where I got knocked out in, in, at Lord's. In but, yeah, um, of course,
0: which, which gave us Marnus. So that's you, it. Did us a, you did us a favour there as well. <laughs> that's <laughs> it, that's it. Smithy, when you made that decision, do you make that yourself? Are you self-reliant on that you know yourself well enough, or do you have a team of people that you speak to, and, or do you say, you know what, this is what I've decided, and I want you to back me, or is it, hey guys, I'm trying to come up with a solution? Like, How does your brain work, and how does your people around you, which I know is important to you, work?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it is really important to, to have a group around you that you can discuss these things with. I can't really remember how it worked back in 2011. It was a long time ago. I've got a horrific memory. So <laughs> I'm sure I would have discussed things with, with my manager, my wife now, which would have been a new girlfriend at that stage. I'm, I'm pretty certain. Um,
0: <laughs> they uh, get the one wrong, <laughs> mate.
1: <laughs> uh, my best mate and, um, and my old man are generally the group that I discuss things with and sort of big decisions in my life. So, yeah, I dare say that would have happened back then. It's just a long time ago now. Yeah. <laughs> I've been playing for too long. Um, yeah. And I think everyone was supportive of that decision. I still roll the arm over every now and again in the nets, but it's more just sort of to help out <laughs> rather than be a skill for me. So. Yeah, okay. And Mardis thinks he's a better leggy anyway now, right? Yeah, he does. He work, well, he's in the period where he's, he's full of energy and <laughs> he, he can do all that stuff. He can train. Batting, bowling, building. So I'll let him do that for now. He'll probably get to a point where he'll stop bowling and yeah. a, and just bat, maybe. But yeah, for now he's he's he's, he's full of energy and non-stop, So he can he can bowl my overs, that's for sure. Perfect. Well, I, I've been watching a little bit of county cricket. As
0: you know, I'm a tragic, so I watch it all. And he's been knocking over blokes with his medium paces.
1: <laughs> his medium paces are awful. <laughs> He gets it, the odd wicket, though, yeah, and he well, gets so excited. Well, anyone can get a wicket bowling seamers on those wickets. I mean, they're bowling 110Ks and <laughs> hitting the seam and doing plenty, so <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit different over there at the moment. Yeah, it certainly is. Let's go back to the decision you made.
0: You decide to concentrate on your batting. You spoke about that couple of years when you focused on that before you got back into the team. Does anyone at Cricket Australia actually have a chat to or is someone at New South Wales saying to you, Smithy, you know, we understand your plan, it's all going to plan, or are you left to pretty much, you know, mentally work that stuff out yourself? Or is there a feeling of someone putting their arm around you and and, and understanding what you're trying to do to get back in the team?
1: From memory, I I think I met with the coach at the the time and I was just like, look, I want to just focus all my energy on my batting. You know, I want to make that as good as it can be. Um, I feel that's my way back into the team and yeah I don't think they really had a choice <laughs> yeah so uh, that was that was what I wanted to do and you know if they didn't want to pick me then so be it but that was for me that was my way back and yeah I guess it's worked out oh, it sure has <laughs> incredible and do you think jumping
0: forward a little bit now, did you think at the time that could ever be as wonderful as it has been in terms of your run making your being number one in the world, being spoke about as Bradman, that type of stuff. Like, is that wildest dream type stuff, or is that actually what you
1: envisaged? Um, yeah, it is wildest dream stuff, but I also was confident as well in, in my ability, um, particularly when I figured out how to play in terms of the mental side of my game. I always felt technically... I. I could cope and I change I always tinker with a few different things here and there for different surfaces and and what have you but it was more the mental side of the game and once I got that into a place that I was comfortable with I knew I I could do some some good stuff so yeah to be able to have done it for for an extended period now it's it's pleasing and um
0: Hopefully, there's still a little bit left in me. I'm sure there is. Um, I'm backing you, mate. In terms of the technical side of things, for people who don't understand cricket, they watch you and they, they enjoy the, the mannerisms and the movements and that type of stuff. Can you explain to people that don't know that mental side of it and why you do the things that you do, which do stand out because not many people in the world do it?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. I actually don't know that I'm doing it out in the middle. It kind of just happens. And I think more movements there are and like the faster it happens I think the more I'm actually mentally switched on when I do the random leaves and you know just different movements and yell really loudly with my calls I think that's when I'm actually in the zone and really focused you know people quite often say why can't you get into that zone all the time but it just I don't know it's it's a difficult question to answer because it it just kind of happens every now and again and I know when I'm in that zone and in that headspace, it's going to take something sort of special to get, get rid of me. Mm. So yeah, the aim is to get into that zone as much as possible and um, I'd love to know how to get in there every time. That'd be great. But yeah, when you get in there, you, you've got to make the most of it. And you've certainly
0: done that over the years. There's no, no doubt about that. Your average now is, is it, the, is it second to Bradman still? Uh, Do you care about those sort of things? Do you you look at stats? And I remember uh, the last text I sent you was like, you're the quickest ever to 8,000 runs. And I remember being so proud of you for that. Is that something you think about? Are those the things that
1: keep driving you? Uh, I haven't really sort of thought about that kind of thing. I mean, it's nice to to tick those things off. It means you're doing some stuff pretty well to, you know, particularly some of the names on that list in the the quickest to 8,000 runs is – you know, to, to get on top of a couple of those players, was you know, even to be mentioned in that category, is, mm. is pretty special. So, yeah, now I guess, I don't know, the, the next goal, I suppose, is quickest to 9,000 and quickest to, to 10,000. I think that would be pretty special. But also, I don't want to sort of think about that stuff at the same time. So, hopefully it just happens naturally and yep. um, I go out there and just keep performing as much as I can for, for Australia and, and whichever other team I'm playing for.
0: Smithy, have you got any sort of pre-match rituals, anything that you go through that you just need to, to nail down before you um, know that you're at the, your best?
1: How long we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, About
0: another half an hour. Oh, dear. Oh,
1: dear. Oh dear. Oh, I, do, I do do some, some sort of different stuff. If I'm listening to music on the way to the ground, I always play the same song last before I get to the ground. It's 23 by Jimmy Eat World. I don't know, it's a strange one. I just did it once and I just liked what sort of mindset it put me in. So whenever I get to the ground, if I know I'm five minutes away, I'll put that song on and just listen to that last. That's a start. <laughs> and then <laughs> when I'm getting ready to bat, so I, I wear footy socks and I tape my shoelaces to my socks. I don't like the visual of seeing my shoelaces when I'm batting. So I used to like fold my trouser over my uh, shoe and put my pad on over my trouser to, to keep my shoelaces in. But then every now and again it would sort of slip out. And I was I was playing in the IPL in I think 2017 and um, the physio at the stage, it was Tommy Simsek who does a bit with New Zealand. And the trousers we were wearing were quite tight and I couldn't get like a fold on them. So he said, why don't you just like tape your shoelaces to your socks? So I did it and I think I got 150 balls or something. And then I just continued on doing it. So <laughs> yeah, so I do that. Um, then I put everything left on first, left shoe, left sock, left. Had left glove, everything left. And then when I'm waiting to bat, I, I really like to watch, watch most balls, um, try and get a feel for what's going on out in the middle, any cues that I can to be one step ahead when I get out there. So it's quite draining when I'm waiting to bat. If I, if I have to wait for an extended period, which I guess I have a little bit over yeah, in 2019 have. in particular – there was some, some times where I was waiting for a long time, and the worst thing sometimes, the TV's on a slight delay, so I watch the ball live and then I look up at the TV and I watch that, so I'm You're watching doing twice I'm watching twice. Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot Yeah, um, <laughs> um, yeah so yeah I watch I watch as much as I can just to get a, a head start on what's happening out in the middle, and then once a wicket falls um. Headband on, helmet on, walk out. And before I walk out, I always do the same thing. I touch left pad, right pad, box, left pad, right pad, box, walk out, look up to the sky, stretch down, do a hamstring-like stretch six times, play two cut shots, walk. (laughs) I don't know. if It's 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 just become like a routine now. I don't even have to think about it. I just do it. Then when I mark my, my guard, I bend down, I do two more stretches, I hit both pads. I play one shot and then I'm ready to play. <laughs> so exhausting. there's pl- plenty that goes Listening into it. To you, yeah. Smithy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's plenty that goes into it. <laughs> I think we need to have a break. <laughs> Relax. Just quickly interrupting the episode to say a very big thank you to the sponsor of this podcast, and that is Sure & Partners Financial Services. Shure & Partners are an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over $28 billion of assets under advice with seven officers across Australia Sure and Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates and charities. For more info you can check out their website at au. that's S H A W for sure. Sure and Partners financial services, your partners in building and preserving wealth. And let's get back into the episode.
0: So Smithy, let's change the subject and talk about Danny. Yep. You know, she's was girlfriend, now wife, and we see her obviously on social media. She's beautiful. She seems to love traveling. Been in New York a lot lately and so forth. Was it love at first sight for you guys? Was it something that you loved her but she needed <laughs> a little bit of... Um, yeah,
1: probably. Yeah. <laughs> that let's happens not, a lot. Let's not tell her that, yeah. <laughs> Um So we met 2010, I think it was, first year of the Big Bash. I was out on a Monday night at a place called Scuba, of all places. Um, <laughs> I'm hearing laughs everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just got to to know each other well to start with. Yeah, I was probably more interested in her than she was in me. Turned around and uh, yeah, here we go. However many years later, how many? 12, 13 years later.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it yeah. is.
1: And you got married a couple of years ago now? 2018. Yeah. Okay. So, and what
0: was that day like? And were you a part of the planning of that or were you <laughs> just given the This is where you
1: get your suit and turn up at three o'clock. That was pretty much it, yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I went down to the venue before. So we got married down in, it's called Bandooli Estate in in Mossvale. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so we went down to the venue a couple of months before, did some food tasting and I think some wine tasting probably as well. So yeah, that was probably the extent of <laughs> of the wedding planning. Yeah, uh, yeah. Danny did the rest, and uh, she's
0: happy with that though. Like you just get in the way.
1: Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. yeah, yep So she was pretty happy with that. And then no, it was a it was a great day. Yeah, good sort of celebration with lots of friends and family and fun. So Smithy, does she love cricket? Did she love cricket? Did she know who you were when she met you? No, but she loves sport. And she, yeah, she, she had no choice really, but to, <laughs> to get into cricket and now she, she thinks she's an expert, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll come home and she'll say, what are you doing swinging at that one? I was, yeah, it happens. It happens, <laughs> it babe. Happens, yeah. It happens. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's great to have her at the cricket and have her support and traveling with me as much as possible. It's been tough the last couple of years with COVID, but mm. yeah, when that sort of, well, I guess it's slowly starting to settle down. So hopefully she can travel with me a bit more and come to watch a few more cricket games.
0: Within the wives and the girlfriends and stuff, is there a bit of a team there that all watch together? Or are there like a team within themselves, if you like, obviously
1: pre-COVID? Yeah, I think most of the girls get on pretty well. So most try and travel as much as possible. When we're in Australia, they, they usually travel around with us a fair amount here so you know we see a lot of each other got a good group and a good crew at the moment so yeah it's good to have that support off the field
0: there's a discussion at the moment around all sports around partners and them coming to games and traveling or whether or not we should go back to the old school and let let you guys concentrate on what your job is what are your thoughts around that type of thing should should, are you happy with you know having partners and so forth can you still be as good as you want to be with that
1: yeah absolutely and I think it's it's down to each individual really if you've got your partner with you and you're performing well then there's, I don't see an issue with it mm. um, everyone's different you know and it's just about um, individually being able to have a conversation and there's been times where I've said to Danny can you like I just need a week of I just got to work really hard can you just give me this week and come next week you know, things like that, and just being able to have that communication and and open conversation to get the best out of yourself in that particular moment, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and that's fantastic. That's how we should be.
1: Yeah. Being open and honest about how we feel,
0: and then the other person respecting that, and and it all works. That's it. What's it like for someone like me and a lot of people listening to this, you know, they would love to play for Australia. They'd love to play for the Sixers. They'd love to have an opportunity to play in a Big Bash series, living in a suitcase and so forth, but that is your life and has been your life for well and truly over a decade, is it as glamorous as it's made out to be? Is there a time where you just go, oh, actually I need a bit of a break? Or do you just love the fact you're jumping from the 100, you know, when that was on or when that's happening to the IPL to obviously all the stuff for Australia and all the three formats?
1: I think particularly when I was younger and growing up and trying to understand my game more, the more I played the better it was kind of thing I think now the schedules are pretty hectic brutal Um, there's a lot on so yeah and particularly away from home so it's kind of you know it's great to continue playing and stuff but there's times I think where you just need a mental reset probably more than physical just Mm. your mind needs to to chill out for a bit and refresh and then you're sort of good to go again. So I've had a little bit of a, a break now for oh, probably close to two months. So I'm well refreshed and, and ready to get back into things. I certainly can feel it more as I'm getting older or understanding probably more when I'm starting to fatigue. Mm. You know, I still probably fatigued when I was younger, but I sort of just kept going through it. I think I just understand it more and where my mind's at and how my body's feeling Yeah, as I'm getting older. I think that sort of comes with experience yeah, maturity. And, and then being able to have conversations with, you know, coaches and selectors around how you're feeling and what your mental state's like, because, you know, they would like you in, you know, as good a mental state as you can be in as well. So yeah. if there's yeah opportunities to rest guys and get them back to where their peak performance is, then I think that's important as well. You've got a new coach at Australia.
0: He's been around for quite a while and watching, as we were commentating on the Ashes, seems to be a bloke that you guys enjoy his company, lots of laughs, and, but the whole sort of team of people that support you and stuff. So moving forward, you've got a big schedule coming up. I know a couple of test series this summer as well as a whole lot of other stuff. What's the new coach like? Do you like that sort of way that he does things? Uh, seems to be more of a facilitator than a, than a
1: coach. No, he's great. He, um, you know, He gets on with... With everyone really well, communicates effectively, has a good cricket brain, and uh, understands the game really well. So, look, he's he obviously took over in Pakistan. We played some some pretty good cricket there, winning that series. That was awesome to watch too. <laughs> yeah, it was good playing on some pretty benign wickets. So yeah. Hopefully, we see something a little bit different in Sri Lanka. Hopefully, some wickets that spin a bit more. And from ball one, I love that stuff. It's good fun. So. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see what we get, but no, look, he's he's been great so far, and I'm sure he's going to continue to grow and be a terrific coach for Australia. Let's just talk now about that
0: Pakistan series, and not the fact that you played in it, but the fact that Australia was there. Such an enormous thing for cricket to be back in Pakistan. Did you feel that when you arrived? Did you feel it amongst the locals, and what was it like to do that tour?
1: No, it was it was great to be able to be part of the Australian team that went back to Pakistan yeah. for the first time. It was, uh, yeah, pretty special. I was pretty disappointed by the crowds in the test matches, to be honest. Yeah, um, I thought having cricket back in Pakistan, being such a cricket-loving nation, they'd show up in in big numbers, and I was I was a bit disappointed by that. Watching on the telly, it looked basically empty, except for a few corporates. Yeah, so no, I was a bit disappointed by that, but still it was it was great to be able to take cricket back there and
0: the cricketing world smithy, you know Dean Jones not so long ago, and then Rod Marsh, which was forgotten about because of the timing with Warney, mm. and then of course only last week with with Roy. I'm still in shock around Warney, let alone everyone
1: else. It's just unbelievable. It is yeah, no it's um it's incredibly sad. I think we just finished day's play in Pakistan. we hopped on the bus and Davey Warner had just got off the phone to his manager who was Warney's manager and he just said, uh, Warney's just passed away and we were like, What? He's like, No, seriously. Which was pretty yeah, it was it was a, a shock to everyone, I suppose. Really sad and yeah, just the all four guys that have passed away, you know, are all sort of legends in, in their own right and yeah. um, it's been yeah, it's been a, a tough year for the cricketing world. Yeah. Roy again, yeah it you know, happened on that weekend a week or so back. And, you
0: know, I only saw him a few months earlier, went out in the boat, got seasick, <laughs> <laughs> caught a couple of fish. But, again, one of these larger-than-life characters like Warney that
1: just seemed that they were going to live forever. Yeah. No, just very sad, isn't it? Uh, been a tragic 12 to 18 months for Australian cricket. Yeah.
0: And Warney getting the grandstand named after him. You know, that's going to be an amazing Boxing Day test. I imagine they'll open it formally then and you guys will be on the ground and, you know, someone will be storming in to you from the Shane Warne end. That's uh, probably the
1: best we can give him because he can live in our lives forever that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's very fitting, isn't it, for someone who achieved as as much as he did in in our game and, yeah, the character he was. So, yeah, absolutely more than fitting.
0: Smithy, let's talk about uh, the best players you've ever played against and with? Uh, people always love these questions. Mm-hmm. So who's that bowler? Who's that batsman? Who's that someone that you would pay money to see play? So three questions in one there if you can.
1: Mm-hmm. As in players playing now or? In yeah, the no, forever, forever, whatever. I always enjoyed watching Sachin Tendulkar play. Mm. I've actually got him out so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go, okay. happy with that <laughs> yeah. a rare one I don't know how he got out to me to be honest so what was the delivery was and a, how did he get out a beautiful top spinner lunged forward caught bat pad how many I don't know how many he was on 230 I no. no I don't think so no? no I can't remember but yeah it was probably what's it like when you get Sassan Tendulkar out yeah it was a bit strange I mean I didn't expect to get him out <laughs> so yeah no look he's he was a Freak, I really loved the way he played and just the elegance, I guess, that he he had when he was, was out batting. So, and the pressure of a whole nation of a billion plus people every time he walks to the wicket—that must be really hard to deal with. Yeah, so I, I don't think they liked me that day. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, would you know? You, you see, guys like Virat Kohli now, and you know Rohit Sharma, and we know how, how much the Indians love their cricket. So, having the, I guess, the weight of, of them on their shoulders when they're out there playing would no doubt be tough, but also mm. great as well to, to have that support, I suppose. So Sachin Tendulkar for me would, would be the, the one I'd pay to watch. Okay, and who's the best bowler that's ever bowled to you? Best bowler that's bowled to me? I always found Mornay Morkel quite difficult. Mm-hmm. just with his height and the pace that I, I guess he bowled. You know, he wasn't express, or he was at times, but just felt quicker with the bounce that he got, the steep bounce from the height that he came from. So he got me out quite a few times. Yeah, so I always found him quite difficult.
0: Mm. I spoke to him the other day because he's going to be part of our uh, Triple M crew for the South African series. Oh, great. Lives in Manly now, yeah. you know, absolute champion fella. and
1: Yeah, lovely guy.
0: Just you just couldn't imagine him being sort of nasty
1: fast bowler. Well, well, he wasn't. I remember playing a game against him at Centurion and he bowled me a ball and I, I hit one back past him. It was a beautiful shot. It went for four. I'm running past him and he's gone, oh, great shot or something. I was like, what? what what'd you say? <laughs> you got Dale Stane up the other end going nuts and then he's like too nice. I'm like, yeah. geez, all right, interesting. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can get people out by being nice or yeah. just, Knocks them off their uh, course. Oh, it did knock me off. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I went on to get a hundred, mind you, but nice. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a bit strange. Is England the team or the Poms the team that gets you most fired up? The ones you want to beat the most? Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, an Asher series is, I guess, the ultimate for for an Australian or English cricketer. So they're the ones that you want to get yourself up for. You want to have an impact in, and yeah, the biggest series for. Australian or English cricketer, so yeah, absolutely.
0: They've got a Kiwi in charge now, so that's interesting.
1: And they've got an Aussie in charge
0: of their white ball, so they've made some changes. Archer out with his injury that's a real shame for international cricket, not necessarily for people that have to face him, but (laughs) for a player of his talent and just watchability, I suppose it's to say that his body's letting him down.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, He's still pretty young, and you know, fast bowlers happens you know the stress that they put through their body mm. can happen so uh, i'm sure he'll he'll make a recovery at some point and you know have an extended run where well fingers crossed for him that he has an extended run where he's not injured and can get some some good cricket under his belt but um yeah obviously feeling for him now he had an elbow issue and, and now he's got a back issue so yeah hopefully he makes a, a good recovery and can be back on the park sometime soon
0: He's a bowler that obviously was difficult to face, and he's he's hit you and so forth as well, mm-hmm. as we well, well documented. So after the ban in South Africa, you came back for that Ashes series. And talking at the ban just for a moment, from my point of view, I sort of I'm happy that we got to know each mm-hmm. other, and I'm happy that you've saved some lives by spending that time with me, talking to schools and talking to cricketers about life can be tough. It's yeah. how you bounce back. Absolutely. Um, You then came back into that Ashes series and had such an unbelievable series.
1: How did you do that? Uh, I don't know. Belief, hard work, experience and just like we sort of touched on earlier, getting in that zone. I just happened to get in the zone on a few occasions where yeah, I was in a good place and felt like I I was going to score runs. And yeah, it it was an amazing series to be a part of and to perform the way I did there. It was very pleasing. And, yeah, loved, it, loved every minute of it. I, love, I really enjoy playing in England. It's, it's, great, it's a great place to play cricket. The fans were obviously very vocal and, and getting stuck in, and I think that sometimes can bring the, the best out of me, trying to prove people wrong or guess, shut them up in a way. Yeah. Um, Do you hear the, the chance? Do you hear the –
0: because with the Barmy Army, I've spent a lot of time with them. A lot of it's tongue-in-cheek, and, yeah. you know, as soon as you
1: prove yourself and score runs, they'll be the first ones to stand and clap. I don't so much hear words. I kind of hear just the, the the melody of whatever song, and that gets stuck in my head. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be out there just like humming to it. <laughs> um, you know, I love the the Jimmy Anderson song, the Jimmy 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 Anderson. Anderson. So I'll just be like humming that and singing along to it, and <laughs> you know, weird stuff gets in your head when you're in the middle. But no, I don't really pay attention to like words or anything like that. Your last innings of that series probably the innings you didn't score
0: as many runs as we had done before and you walked off and they really then said, Okay, we'll give this bike a clap because he was brilliant. What was that moment like for you walking off the field that day?
1: Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, just to have I guess perhaps like changed opinions or been able to win them over, I suppose, in a way, was was cool and didn't sort of set out to do that initially. It was just about performing but proving people wrong as well, which I guess I did on that, that occasion. Yeah, and it was it was a cool moment.
0: You look back on the time that we spent together through that period of the ban, the fact that you put yourself out there, you were vulnerable, you showed kids that it was okay to be vulnerable. How does that make you feel now looking back, the work you did at Gotcha For Life?
1: It's been great. It's certainly given me a different perspective on life, being able to speak to young kids about... You know, being open and honest and having difficult conversations and being okay with with not being well or not being okay. Potentially saving a few people's lives as well was tough to hear, but special, I suppose, in a way. And yeah, I think I I grew a lot throughout the 12 months that I was banned and working together with you. And yeah, just helped me grow into a more sort of rounded individual. It was special.
0: Yeah, and I know you don't. You're much happier talking about other people than yourself. So I, n- I understand that's not an easy question. So I must admit, though, an Adelaide Pat Cummins can't be captain. To see you walk out for the toss and standing there on Triple M, seeing you walk out and then talking to you after the test match, after having success as individually as well as a team. Was one of my my sort of proudest moments. What was it like to be captain again, even under those circumstances of Paddy having
1: COVID and not being able to lead? It all happened really quickly. It was yeah. A,
0: it was a. What time did you? We found morning. out
1: like nine or ten in the morning of the of the test. I reckon you found out before me. Then <laughs> I think I was around like ten o'clock. Okay. Um, ten ten thirty.
0: Well, rumours came through. We we're all at breakfast together at the Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Saying Smithy's going to captain. Cummins is out, and people were like what. Didn't quite realise why because there yeah. was no injury to Pat. Yeah. And then COVID and
1: everyone goes, fucking COVID. Close contact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no, it was it was, it was special to put the, the blazer on again. Did you have your own blazer I didn't. there? I was we're trying patty's. to work out. <laughs> I was wearing patties. <laughs> Yeah, because
0: we're thinking Patty's is going to make it look way too big on you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it did, I think. Um, <laughs> so, no, I normally get told to take it around with me just in case, but didn't expect anything to happen. I don't think I'd been home either. No, I hadn't been home. So I, we came straight from World Cup to Gold Coast, Brisbane Test and then straight to Adelaide. So I hadn't had a chance to collect it anyway, so it was my fault. But um <laughs> but um yeah, no, it was it was cool to to lead again. I I loved it and to think Throughout my career, when I've been captain, it sort of brought the best out of my performances as well. So would have been nice to have converted that 93, I think I got into 100, but it wasn't to be, but yeah, we still won the test match and it was a yeah, it was a great test match.
0: And how, how are you, you and Paddy, obviously now this combination has worked so well, Ashes, you know, the, the t- well, T20, obviously a bit different with Finchie in charge, but, mm-hmm. and then Pakistan, it seems
1: to have just folded in really nicely. The two of you seem to be in a good place. Yeah, my job's to, to help out as much as I can and particularly out on the field, I've, you know, I've played a lot of cricket now. I, I stand at slip, I get a good view of what's going on so I make suggestions regularly and then it's, <laughs> up, then it's up to Patty to make a decision from there but you know, I, I just try and help in any way that I can to help the team have success and mm. that's my job. And fielding in the slips... How's that been for you?
0: Because you dropped a few that you normally wouldn't, and people are like, Right, he's so good everywhere mm-hmm. else. Why is he in the slips? What's your thoughts around that?
1: Honestly, the ones I've dropped in Pakistan, it was as tough as I've, conditions as I've filled it in. People probably can't quite see it on the television, but I felt like I was back playing under 12s. So I was standing so close. Right. Um, the wickets were just so benign and no bounce, and the bowlers are always like, We'd prefer you drop it then the ball land in front of you. So we're standing incredibly close. And it was and, hot too, right? And it was, it was warm, but yeah, it's used to that. That's not, no real excuse. But just how close we were standing was, um, I've never stood that close in my life. So the reaction time was you had to be, if you took a catch, it should be considered an incredibly good catch. If you had to move at all for a catch, amazing. Right. So I think, I think Cameron Green took one where it was quite down low and it was an amazing catch. He was standing just next to me, and we were so close. Right. So, yeah, probably didn't come across that way. Nah, and but then uh, because there wasn't so many wickets, every drop catch, of course, was a highlight. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I understand that. So, look, it was tough, but yeah, look, I, I still work incredibly hard on, on my mm. fielding. It's something I pride myself on, and everyone drops them. So, you know, you can't dwell too much on it. Uh, it's it is one of the worst things to do on the field, though. You drop a catch, you you want to dig in. In a hole and yeah. just hide in there. So, no, nah, it, it is something I pride myself on. So, I, I work very hard on it.
0: Of course. And I think the reason why you got brought up so often is because you don't drop them that often. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword there for you. Last question before we go to the fast five, which mm-hmm. is sort of the, the fun bit to sort of end, if you like. Okay. Resilience is a bit of a buzzword in the sporting world. And we talk to kids all the time about having resilience and working hard, but also having that part of you that allows you to be human and not strive to be perfect all the time. What's your thoughts around resilience and that balance of being the best in the water, what you do, but also being a human being?
1: Good question. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For me, I think, and sort of a value that I live by particularly when I'm playing is like being adaptable and resilient. So being able to adapt according to whatever the situation demands and then In terms of resilience, being able to get through difficult periods. So with my batting, you know, if someone's bowling a really good spell, just being able to rein it in and be like, this guy's got four or five overs, we get through this, it'll get easier. Mm. So I I think that is resilient, I suppose, in a way. Oh, totally. Um, And then, yeah, just being comfortable with, with setbacks in a way, off the field, I suppose, being able to grow and make mistakes and and learn from them and keep moving forward not dwelling too much on them being in in that present moment but being able to move past it and move forward and stay in a, a good headspace. which i think you need people around you to be able to to get into that space being able to talk honestly and openly about what you're going through and um, have those people around you that help, you, help get you through. I remember you telling a
0: bunch of kids at Shaw School one morning, we went in there and did like a 45-minute chat. You and I then, we went into a room and you spoke to the first 15 and the second 15, if you can remember. Mm-hmm. And one kid said, oh, I'm tw- 12 not out, we're chasing 170. What do you think my mindset should be for tomorrow? You know? And you said, don't leave it up to anyone else. Mm. You're in position, you get a not out, you win the game. And this kid was like, "Oh, it's so
1: simple." We overcomplicate stuff, stuff at times, especially in sport, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah, it's about it is about keeping it as simple as possible. And for me personally, I I just don't enjoy watching the game as much as playing. In a way, <laughs> yeah. when I'm like when I'm playing it, so yeah, I want to be the one out there doing it, and I want to be in the middle batting and yeah. getting the job done. So yeah, it's far. It, well, it's much more fun out in the middle than sitting back in the shed and. Talking rubbish with all your mates. (laughs) Yeah,
0: plenty of time for that. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, Smithy, the Fast Five, um, your favourite holiday
1: destination? New York. Beautiful. And why New York? Just love the pace of the city. Always something on, always something to do, and just a great vibe. Yeah, sure is. Your favourite movie? Mm, Favourite movie. I really liked one I watched recently, uh, Draft Day. Oh, so good. Kevin Kevin Costner. Costner.
0: Just (laughs) hang with him for those last few minutes, you'll make it happen. Yeah,
1: yeah, great. Great film. So, sporting movies are... Yeah, I like my sporting movies, yeah. yeah Big yeah. fan. I liked oh, probably a bit of a touchy subject, but the King Richard. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Well, it is a touchy subject. <laughs> it's a slappy subject. <laughs> it, <laughs> <laughs> it is, but, geez, it was um pretty cool story. Yeah.
0: Well, I saw a documentary on the making of that movie, and if people don't know, it's the uh, it's the father of the Williams sisters. They did a documentary of the Williams sisters walking onto the set. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that. No. It's, it's fantastic. So the girls that are playing Venus and Serena yeah. are just sort of sitting there chatting to the crew oh. and all of a sudden they look around and Serena and Venus are there and they just like go to water. Oh. And all of a sudden they come in, they're hugging and they spend <laughs> the day on the set and they watch them and the girls just could not act in front of them. <laughs> they just couldn't, you know, just like they've got to go away. Like <laughs> I, can't, I can't be them with them just there. And it, yeah, would, right. it made me want to watch the movie. Then I watched it and then. Yep. Of course uh, <laughs> bugger Likes did what buggerugs did. Jeez. Have you got a favourite quote, a saying, something that you live your life by? Or something that someone said to you and you went, Oh,
1: that makes sense or that puts things in perspective. Sort of live by like just trust trust myself and, and, and back myself. Usually your gut's pretty good, so trust your gut and have confidence in yourself. Yeah,
0: so you do it without even realising it's a thing. It's just yeah. it's what you've always done. Yep. Are you a reader? Have uh, you got a favourite book? Again.
1: Yeah, I really like Andre Agassi's book, actually, another sporting one. Obviously, love my sport. Yeah, the Andre Agassi story was, was pretty cool as well. I'll tell you a story. Jacko, Madison Square Gardens, Christmas
0: Day. The Nets always play on Christmas Day. Mm. I don't know if you've done that yet. No. So it's, if you're there for Christmas, normally not with your family, of course, so you go to the basketball. Mm. So one of our mates is there, Marcos, who's a complete lunatic, red-headed clown from Queensland. He won't mind me saying that. <laughs> so he's got the kilo bag of Skittles. Yep. He's trying to open them. And they're sitting right on the court, right? Jacko's got the best seats, right next to a couple of other movie stars. <laughs> but you know the waxiness on some of those packs sometimes? You can't quite get your teeth under it, so it's slipping and so forth. And he's trying to rip it, and eventually he goes for the for the pull from one side to another, and the bag explodes <laughs> and launches these one kilogram of Skittles <laughs> Across the basketball oh, court, right? And the game's going on. <gasps> so all of a sudden, whistles are coming in, players are stopping, the boats are out there, you know, trying to sweep, <laughs> you know, like they normally sweep in the sweat. Yeah. And Jacko's just looking at Marcos, going, Mate, what have you sit, Like the look, the look at, and it's on Google, you can look at it. It says Hugh Jackman Square Gardens is just looking at, he, at Marcos, going, Are you <laughs> right, mate? Sort of thing. So, the, so they go to a commercial break because it takes so long to clean up. This lady comes over and goes, Look, Hugh, um, because of the we had to go commercial break. We've got a bit more time now for halftime, and we're wondering if you could just get up as a bit of an apology and talk about what you got for Christmas and so <laughs> forth. And it was the Agassiz book that Agassiz had sent to Jacko, and right. he said, look, I got it. I've only started reading it this morning. I read a couple of chapters, and it's one of his favourite books. Because yeah. he sort of understands that for Agassiz, he'd be perfect for this podcast. Mm. People that don't necessarily have it go all their way their own way. They have to work hard at getting where they get yep. their success. So Absolutely. That, when I hear that Agassi book, that story always comes to <laughs> mind. And last one, mate. Um, Favourite charity who you'd like to give the 10K to? Because Sean Partners, where we're sitting today, are giving every one
1: of our guests 10 grand to give to a charity of their choice. It's very generous. My charity of choice will be Gotcha for Life, of course, Gus. Thanks, um, Smithy. Love the work that I've, I've done with with you and, and for, for Gotcha for Life. So... Let's send the 10 grand there and hopefully it makes a difference to some some young kids and people that are going through some, some tough
0: times. Yeah, no, that will definitely do that. We've sort of worked it out that every $40 that is raised now puts another kid or another person into the workshop. So it's a nice tangible way of looking at where the money goes. Yep. So you think of that $40 divided into 10,000, it's a lot of people that wouldn't get that workshop and every person that comes out of the workshop has a little bit more of an idea of how to get through the type of stuff that life is throwing at them. It gives them that little bit of emotional muscle and it gives them a little bit of confidence to go, I'm not alone here. Because they walk into a workshop, they look around and go, like last week at Avalon Surf Life Saving Club, we have 256 blokes turn up. And they all walked in smithy thinking they were the only ones that were going to be there. So all of a sudden they go, oh, I'm not alone. (laughs) I can build a bit of a team around me to be able to help me get through this and the workshop can certainly be a part of that so um thank you very much from the bottom of my heart and thanks for everything you've done for gotcha and i know your schedule is hard but um i think every time we can have a chat in front of schools or do a video that goes out to cricketers like we've done you know i think will help people with their mental fitness so thanks mate and good luck for the for the season ahead my pleasure thank you good on you mate well that was steve smith and what i loved about that chat is i know how much steve has grown as a person since the ban in south africa i've seen it i've seen the fact that he walks in the schools he's been real and uh, his honesty has allowed him to save people's lives so to sit down with him and to find out some stuff i didn't know was fascinating coming up next on not an overnight success is Sean Bonnet. Sean is an incredibly successful entrepreneur and property developer who founded and is CEO of Precision Group. Sean is the kind of person that seems like everything he touches turns to gold, but his business mindset is quite different from what you might assume someone of his success holds. I think you'll really enjoy hearing from him. A big thank you to Shaw and Partners Financial Services, who have generously supported this podcast and also donated ten thousand dollars to the charity of choice of each of our guests to thank them for their time. Shaw and Partners are an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over twenty-eight billion dollars of assets under advice. With seven offices around Australia, Shaw and Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates, and charities. For more info, you can check out their website at shawandpartners.com.au. That's S-H-A-W for Shaw. Shaw and Partners Financial Services, your partners in building and preserving wealth.